OmegaMetroid.com is here. We're so proud to finally share our website with you, giving Metroid fans a dedicated one-stop shop for the latest news, fan creations, walkthroughs, maps, and of course, the latest episodes of the Omega Metroid Podcast. That's not all. If you'd rather listen on YouTube, you can check out episodes there. And if you really want to take your Omega Metroid experience to the next level, consider supporting us on Patreon. You'll get access to special Discord roles, a platform on the website to promote your projects, exclusive bonus shows, and so much more. Memberships start as low as $1 a month. OmegaMetroid.com is the source of all this great content. So whether you're a new Metroid fan or a series veteran, OmegaMetroid.com is the place for you. Check out OmegaMetroid.com today. As always, joined by Allison Aletha and our friend, our special guest, uh, the managing editor of Zelda Dungeon, Rod Lloyd. How are you Hello. on this fine Sunday? I am doing great. Well, that's good. How you doing, Al? Gosh, I'm like exhausted. My sister is moving literally in a week, and so I'm one, helping her pack, but two, also kind of taking time to declutter myself. And right. we just took like a whole U-Haul of Goodwill stuff to donate yesterday. And <laughs> it's a lot of work, so I'm tired. Uh, so I, I was telling Rod... Spring cleaning. Yeah, I was telling Rod while you were having your computer issues. Um, so last night, my dog, Link, he, uh, he came up at about 3 a.m. into our bed. All out of sorts. Don't know what happened. I don't know if like he heard something, if like he had a bad dream, if he got into it with the cat... But he's up on our bed and he's all out of sorts and like he won't calm down or whatever. We keep trying to take him back downstairs to go to bed and like uh, he, just, he, he won't do it. He's he's coming upstairs still. He's coming upstairs. He's just something something just, you know, he's out of sorts. So we have my wife and I end up having to sleep on the couch with him um, until like six in the morning when I was just like, I'm, I'm going to bed. And uh, that was that was my night. So I'm also tired. That's that's kind of the reason we're actually live streaming on Twitch right now. And none of us have our cameras on because we all look terrible. <laughs> well, Sleepy cast, yeah. I'll speak for myself. I look terrible. Uh, I, got, I, like, I do. I've got these massive bags under my eyes because I was up all night. But that is neither here nor there. Um, I'm really excited about this show. It's kind of been a couple weeks uh, build up for this show. But we are finally here and we're finally going to talk about the game. We've teased it a little bit, but we're going in long form today. Uh, and we are finally going to be talking about Tunic. And for Tunic. anybody that doesn't know, for anybody that doesn't know, Tunic is a a Zelda-like game that wears its inspiration very, very clearly on its on its sleeve. It's a Zelda-like game. Oh, yeah. You are a little fox in a big world, 
and uh, you have an adventure, and all you have at your disposal is a sword and a shield. This game just came out for the Xbox uh, series of consoles, and it's it's awesome. It's really I don't know, you know what else Steve. to say. It's it's incredible, and we're gonna break it down. And uh, you know, I know that everyone listening to this it was disappointed about Breath of the Wild being delayed, but my God, if you need a Zelda fix, you gotta go pick up Tunic. I know that we're like a a Nintendo focused podcast, obviously, but you know, this is definitely worth your time. Yeah, because I, I feel it. So I was at E3 when they this was shown at the PC Gamer Show. I think it was 2017 or yeah, 18. It was, it was like forever ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And everyone at the show, whenever we were, like, it, whenever I was talking to anybody, because obviously I was the Zelda guy there, um, it was like, oh, what do you think about Tunic? Because to them, it was like Xbox's answer to The Legend of Zelda. And that's kind of what we all thought it was going to be. It's like, oh, wow, this is going to be right The Legend of Zelda, but for Xbox. And I feel like having played it it definitely feels like zelda from the start and then slowly it you realize oh wow this thing is a you know its own beast you know like it it kind of like it picked up things that the zelda series lost a long time ago and we kind of like dusted it off and and brought it back you know kind of that old school mentality yes uh yes i i agree i i do think that that there is a point in the game mid maybe closer to the end of the second act where it does kind of venture off into its own path. Um, yeah. And I do agree. It definitely, it definitely brings back some things that Zelda, you know, did away with. And I, in my opinion, I think that some of those things were very clearly, you can see why Zelda did away with them. But I do think that this game is certainly awesome. And we just wanted to say that at the top of the show, and I guess we should also say at the top of the show as well that we're going to be talking about the game pretty in depth. Um, so if you are, if you're worried about spoilers, um, maybe come back to this after you've played the game, and um, you can just take it from us that this is a game absolutely worth your time and worth yes. playing, and you should definitely go out of your way to play it. It was developed by uh, a guy named Andrew Schuldeis, who is a Canadian guy, by the way. Nice. Up in, uh, he's in, he's on the opposite coast of me. He's up in uh, New Brunswick, I want to say. So very cool. Very cool to mm-hmm. see him making moves. Um, but let's, uh, I guess let's start with the gameplay of this game, which, uh, which is very familiar to anybody that has played the Legend of Zelda game. Particularly, I feel like if you played Link's Awakening on the Switch recently. It, it feels like Link's Awakening for sure. Very much. It, it starts off in a similar way. You just kind of wake up. You go find your your sword. You go find your shield. This should be like very intimately familiar to Zelda players. Um, so I, I beat this game 100% a couple weeks ago. And I know, Rod, you did as well. Al, did, where, yeah. where are you at with, uh, with Tunic? Did you manage to finish it? Yes, I completed it uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not extremely long, but yeah, I completed it and there's actually two endings. So like I was, I was pretty stoked about that when I got there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the gameplay is like fairly, like I said, if, if you're a Zelda vet, it'll be familiar to you. You, you basically have like your, your sword and shield options. You, you traverse the world and, uh, it's, it's very it's very isometric, like very isometric. Yeah. And it, it can play a lot of different tricks on you. And I think that the game uses that in a really effective way. 
Um, I think that was the the thing that stuck out to me the most in my first few hours was how like clever they were with the camera because it's not top down completely like yeah. you know, Link's Awakening is. Like you said, it's isometric, so it's kind of tilted, and they hide things everywhere. You know, in the the way the camera's positioned, uh, they'll they'll hide things around corners or behind like one block. Like there'll be a chest, and you'll be like, you know. You can't see it because of the way the camera's tilted, and so you're you're constantly going behind everything and trying to find little secret passages or trying to find a treasure chest that's hidden. I was um, thinking, it, yeah. it, it, like, it, it keeps surprising you too. Yeah, when I was playing this, I was just like, when I kept on finding like these like little hidden tunnels that would take you somewhere or whatever, I was like, man, a speedrunner would have like a, a field day with this game on like their second or third playthrough, like knowing all these little shortcuts and stuff like that. It's a oh, very, yeah. very cool world. Yeah, so, I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, the kind of how it was uh, shaped. Like all the, it's um, not extremely detailed, but it's detailed enough. And it's like really charming looking, the shapes of like the trees and like the bushes and all that kind of stuff. Like they didn't need to go into that much detail for it to just be awesome and charming in its own way. And I agree. Like some of the little secret passages were kind of like, Zelda in a way where you're you're looking at this game and maybe this is because we you know play primarily Zelda you look at it and you're like you know what that looks obviously like a little hidden passage so you go behind like say the windmill and you're like oh yeah that is a hidden passage so that was cool but then there were some that I was like holy crap there was no way I would have found that there you know if I was yeah, there was a ladder there the whole time yeah the, yeah right? if I wasn't like trying to push myself into every corner I wouldn't have found you know some of those passages so yeah it was very cool and it was good to explore like it's not huge but it's enough to like keep you going back to different places and exploring it's dense yeah yep. yeah that's a good that's a good way to put it um so I, I, th I think like if we're talking about gameplay it's like the zelda influence is clearly evident but a very important key uh, ingredient is the dark souls angle like the game plays like Dark Souls. Like, and I know we'll talk about combat a little later, but I feel like the Dark Souls series is renowned for its level design, where a, a level will branch off and then very elegantly put you right back to where you started. Um, and I feel like this game takes that from Dark Souls and, you know, does an excellent job where, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll veer off the, the, the main path, go and look for something, you know, you'll do a little bit of exploring and then somehow you'll just end up right back on the main path. And you're like, oh, wow, that was that was clever. Um, and yeah, and, and I guess we could just talk about combat right now. Because I think that that was a common theme that I read and experienced. Is like, this world and this game looks very cute. You're playing as this cute little fox. But dude, these these enemies can absolutely smash you if you're not, yep. if you're not ready and you're not prepared and you're not quick. It's, it's punishing, yeah. It's yeah. very punishing. Um, there's a lot of... It, we'll talk about the bosses and the enemies in more detail in a second. But, like, there's a lot of, like, really, really challenging areas in this game. Where, like, you have to be pitch perfect with, like, your dodging and your... I, I don't know. We Rod and I were talking about this as well, Al. We were talking about, like, um, Bloodborne and Elden Ring and stuff like that. And, like, I never use my shield, like, ever in this game. I relied pretty much just on Same. dodging and rolling yeah. and, and attacking. Did, did you ever use your shield? Yeah, I did at the beginning when I first got it. And let me just say that it kind of takes you a while to get to the shield, which I thought was kind of surprising. I don't know about you guys, but it took me, like, 
you at least have to do the first portion, like the first part, you know, yeah. ringing the yeah. bell, and then and then you get the shield, which was kind of odd to me. But afterwards, I tried using it more because I was like, this is obviously going to help me. But then, yeah, it got to a point where I was more so rolling and dodging to get out of, out of, of the way of enemies, you know? Yeah, totally. I feel like dodge rolling, I think, is like your your best bet against especially the harder bosses towards the yeah. end. Mm -hmm. um, and the game, like there are like little subtle things that they do with the visual design that I thought was fun. Um, like you have a lot of iframes when you dodge, you know, inv invincibility frames. And the way they signal that visually is every time you do a dodge roll, uh, dust will kick up. If yes. you see dust, it means you're invincible. So I, I thought that was a little clever thing to at least ease people in. So it's like you're not guessing on when you're going to be able to dodge something effectively. It's like if you're dodging and you see dust, you're safe for just that you know second. Yeah, I, I had a little bit of a uh, hard time at first kind of nailing down the timing of it, um, which was... Which was like like kind of frustrating, but also is frustrating in a sense of like, not not like it was unfair, but I was just like ah, like I wish I could, I wish I could just nail this and, and have it done right, and like I was I was frustrated at me and not the game itself, which I feel like is is always kind of good for this. I think that's, there a, that's a strength for the game, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, I agree. I feel like there there were some times where I was frustrated at the game, and we'll talk about that in the items, but. For the most yeah. part, I, I feel like the, the combat was very challenging, but like very fair if you, you know, if you were really good at it and if you went in prepared, which is obviously, a, you know, a must if you're going to succeed in this game. Um, so, yeah, there's Absolutely. lots of lots of tough enemies, lots of tough bosses. Um, traversing the world is not easy. And there's like I don't I don't know what they call it in the game, but there is this like malice basically in this game which will actually like deplete your health bar and and not deplete it in a way that you can heal yourself after but it just like makes your it like literally yeah, lowers, lowers your, your maximum max hp, HP which yeah. sucks. and i believe it's called miasma in the game yes and i think they're they're called cavities as well like those little yes. yeah so i actually I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here but i went to the mine area and i did not have the the, the mask that protects you against that. And I, oh, I basically wow. ran through like dodging everything about to die in literally one hit until I got to, um, I think it's the cathedral or whatever it is after that. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty intense. All that, all these, doing this crazy stuff. Then. Yeah, it was nuts. It was nuts. Well, <laughs> and, and because I didn't know that there was something that could guard you against it, which again, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. We'll talk about isn't that. Isn't the mask in the cathedral? Like, so that first portion you have to dodge and run in there and it's, very punishing and then you have to start over if you die because again it's lowering your max hp but once you mm -hmm. get to the cathedral you get the mask card uh maybe i, I could i could I also remember i remember crowd. getting the mask before I, I went into the mine like i, I thought you, you were some, you're like, supposed to get the mask before, around yeah. it. maybe maybe i have it mixed i might be talking about the monastery actually instead of the cathedral because the cathedral is oh, like yeah, the yeah, ending yeah. place but yeah yeah yeah. Sorry, the monastery you're right <laughs> i did get those mixed up so last week on the show, we were talking about games gimmicks and stuff like that in the Zelda series. And I would say when it comes to like the world, when it comes to exploration, combat and stuff like that, this is like a fairly straightforward gimmick. Like there's nothing crazy like transforming into, you know, wolves or motion controls or stuff like that. But the central gimmick, if you want to call it that, around Tunic, oh, involves, involves you collecting pages of the book's instruction manual which is like 
I thought that this was like so charming. And if they do not sell, if they do not make and sell this manual, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Oh yeah, you're right. They they definitely need to do that. So this is done in like a really clever way because you find the pages and the pages will actually like tell you about abilities that I, I'm you possess, but like you don't know to do them. Like to pray, you have to hold down the A button for three seconds, but you you probably wouldn't know to do that unless you were told to do that and you don't find the instruction page that tells you to hold down the A button to pray until like a, a you know significant portion in the game. And there's a lot of like little other things like this or like you can get the maps, um, you can get information on bosses, items, stuff like that. It's, it's, it's very, very cool. And the artwork is very, very charming. That that moment where you learned to pray was probably the first aha moment that I had involving the manual because yeah you go and collect these manuals and at first like the first few that you're like kind of meant to find are very basic and it seemed to me like just a fun shout out to like the old Zelda manuals because some of the art is straight up the same artwork that you saw in the Zelda one and two manuals except now it's a little fox guy you know and it's like the some some drawings are exactly the same. Um, and so I thought, that, oh, well, that's charming and fun. And then you find one that has a map on it. You're like, oh, that's useful. But then I was actually having some trouble. I think finding the shield, like what, like what Al was talking about, it's kind of you find the shield a little later in the game. And I was feeling a little lost, like trying to figure out where to go. And I felt like all the areas I was exploring, I was getting just beat down because I wasn't strong enough. Right. And I found out that I had I was missing a, a an important uh, – manual page that was hidden in an area that I hadn't explored yet. And once I got that, that page one taught you how to level up, which is something that you don't know. To, at least I didn't know I could do. I didn't yeah. know that I could go to the, the save points and burn off materials that I had collected to level up my character. I can level up HP, MP, uh, you know, your, I don't know. The max. I, I'm actually, I'm know. not sure that you can level up before you find that. I, I could be wrong, but I don't yeah. know. You, you might you not can. be able to. I but I didn't know that. That you, some of these um, things that you could do in the game were locked until you found the page that mm. told you how to do it. That, 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 that would be, be true. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But either way, so I, I I find this page and it's like, oh, I could have been leveling up the whole time, and maybe I couldn't, but it felt like I could have been. Yeah. And right. then you find a page that says, oh yeah, here's how you pray. You just hold down the A button for three seconds. I was like, I could have been doing this the whole time, Mind and it just that... opens up the. It Mine opens up really all these possibilities. Yeah. The, the one that really got me, that kind of was like, are you serious? I could have been doing this the whole time, was the sprinting page when it tells you oh, how really? to sprint. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so – I've been just, like, trotting along this whole time. <laughs> I could have been sprinting. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely the praying for me that was, like, the aha. Yeah. Like, this is this makes sense now. Um, but you, you bring up a great point, too. It, it was also the materials and stuff like that, like, leveling up. Um, I, I actually, I had an aha moment later as well, because like I had, I had collected the pages of the manual that had the map and I was like, okay, this is great, whatever. And it, and it wasn't until like a, a kind of embarrassingly long time later that I actually realized that you can see yourself moving on the map itself. Oh yeah. And I was yeah. just like, oh my, this is, this is far better than, than I thought because like now I can actually track my movement and stuff like that. And, um. Yeah, it was. It's a really clever, clever system, and it's really. I I found that it was very charming. I found that it was very rewarding. Um, I I it would is. say that it sometimes it it might feel like some of this information you could have got them a little bit like easier. 
Like, and I know that, you know, you don't want to be handed everything, but there were some items or, or some, like, instances, particularly with, like, the Holy Cross, which we'll talk about later, where it's just, like, I, I think you need to spell it out a little bit more than this. So th there's a there's a definitely something that is uh, that makes it even more difficult, uh, at least reading the manual, is the fact that it's completely written in a made-up yes. language. Yes, <laughs> Almost yeah. completely. Maybe 90% is in a different language that uh, you're just like, what am I looking at here? And at first I thought, well, that's kind of fun and charming because it kind of reminded me of another Zelda-like game, uh, um, Hyper Light Drifter, which also features a made-up language. Um, and to me, it's fine because, I, you know, I've played a bunch of video games. Uh, I, I know kind of like the language of video games, uh, for lack of a better word. But this game really leans into the made-up language towards the end where you're like, you'll, you're – you'll be able to put two and two together by looking at the drawings and maybe you'll see one word that will, you know, yeah. be a hint in English, but everything else you're just like, what, what is this? What is this page? So I, I was expecting to find a page of the manual that offered some kind of translation for like a cipher. Yeah. Yeah. Like a cipher. Exactly. That, that you could actually like go back and, and read the story or whatever that, that uh, the manual offers at the very beginning or something that, that would let you, you know, basically read, like, there's a, there's a small little windmill in the, like, by the East Bell Tower, and you have to come back to it later, and you get a, a secret item, but, like, I, I, I think that, I guess we could sort of talk about it now, but maybe we'll talk about it in a bit later, but, like, yeah, that, that was probably my biggest critique of this game, was that it was just, it was a little bit too obtuse in a lot of ways. Obtuse is the best way to yeah. describe it, yeah. Um, um Let's but, not let's not get there like, yet though. Let's not get there okay. yet. Let's talk sure. about um, uh, the the areas and the world, I guess itself, because I think that this game was like just a, a really it does so it doesn't have dungeons in the traditional Zelda sense, but like the world itself is like almost such a puzzle. It's almost like a, a one giant dungeon, and like the little subsections that you go to are so like diverse and clever, and uh, also very very charming and very like. There's just like a sense of history to everything. It looks very, very cool. Yeah. Um, there's it, the... it, it, it. You get maps that kind of like it feel like okay, this is one dungeon. This yeah, is a yeah. One. This is a different. Even though they all kind of interconnect with each other too. Uh, tons of different. Like, there's the dark tomb, which I thought was going to be a little bit more ominous than it turned out being. I think that the the ruined. Uh, how do you say this word? Atoll. Is that how you say it? The atoll? ruined atoll. Yeah. That was one of my favorite places. It was just like such a. I don't know. It was almost like wind waker-esque or like i don't know place kicked I, my butt dude yeah yeah, yeah. The island section kind of uh feel yeah, yeah it's like a I, beach my problem is that i kept going there too early and i was like okay it's time to do this part down here and then it was like no it's not time yeah. to do this part down here. me too <laughs> it had all those awful birds that just followed you around and wouldn't yeah. go away um the quarry as we kind of mentioned earlier is an area filled with cavities and cavities lower your your maximum HP, so it's just like an insane area to go through. If you if you are not properly equipped, like I wasn't, looks very like very dark and broody, but also like colorful and pop at the same time. It's, it's cyberpunk almost. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I just want to say this about that because that when I went to the quarry, I went to it a little early, but that's when I realized that this game was way different than I thought it was when I came into it. So I feel like 
you're you're kind of moving in the game on this like cube basically and the the majority of the first part you're playing on the front side of the cube you're in a good main area you got a forest you got a beach you got a a garden like this kind of mystical fairy looking garden over here and it's like cool you know there's mountains up at the top and then when it's time to go to the quarry it's like the cube flips and you see like all these super dark workings that are happening behind the world that's charming and cute and i was like oh my gosh this game is about to f me up because there was so much like it was creepy and really kind of disturbing when i was sitting there looking at it and thinking about what was going on it just looked like you turn this pretty little cube around and you see the super sinister dark workings that are going on in the background and i was like this that was the moment for me where this game like completely turned its head and i was like oh there's some deep crap going on here there were a lot of like little moments even in the early part of the game where you kind of go underground and you catch a little glimpse of like something like maybe like unknown technology or uh you know, like an ancient civilization, you think some sinister is lying just under the surface, but you can't put your finger on it. You you know the game's going to, like, unearth it at some point. And I would say you're right. Like, as soon as you go behind the mountain and you go explore the quarry, there's this yeah. big vista, and the camera kind of pulls out, and you see, like, this, like, mine that's still being, you know, dug up. Uh, and it's almost industrial in a way. And you see this big giant purple door and it looks very like ominous in the distance and it's very gloomy. I feel like that's when the game really tells you, it's like, okay, now you're ready to go and see what evils are lying underneath. I agree. Especially cause like the first half of the game. So your objective for the first half is to ring these two bells and you go to the East forest and you go to the West garden. And those are like, I would say like fairly traditional areas that you might expect to see in a Zelda game. Like, they, they would look right yep. at home in, like, Link's Awakening. And so you're just like, okay, like, I feel like I, I know this. I I'm have a little bit of familiarity. This is okay. And then you go to, like, even the Ruined Atoll and the frog or the Frog's Domain. I feel like th those might not look out of place at, like, a, you know, a Zelda game either. But then, yeah, when you hit the quarry, you hit the monastery, you hit, like, the, the graveyard. That's when it's just like, okay... This is a little bit different than than maybe we expected. And actually, the one that really stuck out to me, which we were talking about Cyberpunk, was, like, the hidden vault underneath, which I actually stumbled onto before I did pretty much anything. So I, I went to the hidden vault before... That was my first key that I got. Which, by the way, so you're supposed to get three keys. That you're, that's your objective in the second half of the game. They're just like the pendants from A Link to the Past. Exactly. Like it's, the it seems almost exactly like that. So I got to the hidden vault first, and I was like, what is this crazy cyberpunk factory where they are making, like, bad stuff going on here? Like, something is yeah, obviously that's weird not... that you went to that one first. Like, I... I feel like that's the one where it's like, this is the secret that it, yeah. you know, has been under your nose the it whole time. The secret, yeah. I, I'm going to be honest. I can't, I can't remember how I got there. Um, I, think, I think I must have went through... I think I must have went through the quarry, first of all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly where I was. I, I didn't go to the monastery after. I went to the, the hidden place because I had, like, no health left. And I was running through the quarry, and you can get there. And I didn't have my mask or anything. And I got stuck at the boss there for, like, absolutely forever because I was not that's ready. King oh, yeah, you, that guy's King. rough. Oh. He's rough, yeah. He, that, was the, that was the hardest boss in the game for my money. But I it also was... went in unequipped and unprepared like a schmuck. Yeah. That vault, yeah, it's just so... It's, I had goosebumps from the quarry through the vault in that part of like the game 
was just complete goosebumps for me because you're looking at the background. You're, you know, you're playing the game and you got these creepy enemies and all that kind of stuff. Great. But you're like really paying attention to the background and you're like wondering what the heck is really going on here. There's like clones of foxes going on everywhere. It's just, it's just creepy and like, I don't know. It looks also manufactured and you're like, what the heck? It looks is like they're really getting ready for war world? or something like yeah. that. It was so disturbing, like beautiful, like gorgeous and really cool, but so disturbing. I was like, it was really tripping me out. Like cyberpunk. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. It was cool. like how I was playing it. I, I was exploring and like you learn how to pray and you could pray at these like altars or I, I don't know what they are. They're like monuments and they look very industrial or, you know, they look like they're built of metal, like a machine. Right. And you go and pray to them and they'll lift up and activate. And it's very loud and almost dissonant. And you're like, Ooh, that's a little weird. You know, that that's doesn't seem that that's not at place in this, you know, whimsical fantasy world with this little Fox character. And you um, find what's out up? that the fox clones are inside those things? Yeah. That you you find wacky. out that there are living creatures inside these things that you've been activating the whole game. And I feel like that's where I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, this game got, you know, dark very quickly. Yeah. Uh, it certainly did. Um, I guess we can talk about the story now, or we can talk about it later. We still have some bosses to talk about. We still have some pacing to talk about items. But what do you guys want to do? you want to talk about the story now or later? keep going with like the bosses and stuff and i right. just think the, the story kind of incorporates with all these things yeah and the story I, yeah. is very loose anyway okay well let's talk about these bosses that we talked about the scavenger king and this dude lives at the bottom of uh of this hidden area and he was the biggest son of a bitch ever i i was like <laughs> raging i i really was i was like just I, I felt like i was 13 years old playing mario party and like on the last turn when i was up by two stars like the game conspired to like give Luigi like six stars somehow. And I was like, this sucks. And that, that was one where I was just like, Oh, like I just, I was just gritting my teeth and I was like thrashing against my couch. My wife is like, I'm not sitting with you if you're going to be like this. And the, that boss, Oh my God. He was like the bane of my existence, but I finally beat him by actually leaving, going and getting the gun coming back you need that gun man. you need it yeah <laughs> yeah i killed him with bombs and the gun you know it was just kind of you know just throwing firecrackers firecrackers at him uh getting his health down and then just finishing him off with the gun so one thing about tunic that i i i don't really love this i guess i can understand what they're going for but like if you save your game at a save station and you have three bombs and you go and use all those three bombs against this boss, but he still kills you. You you're you don't have three bombs anymore. You're just you have nothing. So like you kinda have to go like you kinda have to fight strategically and it's like it's like I think I could beat him, I'm going all in, and hope to God that you can do that. That happened to me several times. And the game does encourage you to use items because you start automatically spawning some items if you use them a lot. Yeah. But me, I, I use the firecracker so often that the game would give me two Every time I saved or every time I like rested at the, the bonfire or whatever, I was given two firecrackers at the start for free. So so I, I'm like the I'm the guy that like I don't like to use my items. I like I only like to use them when I I need them. Like I absolutely need them. And the the fact that I was going to lose them if I was not successful made me not want to use them. So I was just like you know, I, I was like, ah, I, I don't, I don't want to, like, I don't want to use them if I'm going to lose them. 
And but of course, if you don't use them, then you don't get the automatic spawn. So I was kind of in a bad yeah, spot. Yeah, the, I feel the, like. the manual even had a page that was like, "Hey, use your items because you'll get free ones if you use them a bunch." Yeah, I don't know. I I never did, but the boss scavenger. I think the boss scavenger is really supposed to be like the the second to last boss in this game. Um, yeah, and I it was that, it was hard like without the shotgun yeah. for sure. But eventually did it. Eventually did it. Very cool setting, cyberpunk setting. Um, I feel I actually stumbled across the librarian, which is a very cool. So actually, we didn't talk about the library when we were talking about the areas, but that was also a very very cool like little area that it almost felt like a secret area, and you like climb this ginormous tower, and there's just this dude sitting up at the top, and he looks kind of like a badass, and he kind of is. Um, I I was much more successful against this guy, but I was also like probably a lot more leveled up and, and whatever by the time I got to him. But this is a pretty fun fight as well. Very cool setting. And for that boss, I easily cheesed with the the hookshot equivalent. Like yeah, you get yeah, like yeah. a whip. Yeah. You get a whip that serves as a hookshot. You can kind of hookshot enemies, or you can use it to cross gaps. And the librarian will fly around at the top of a tower, and you're in this very tiny arena, and he's flying on the the outside of the arena, and he'll come in, and that's when you're supposed to you know punish him. But if you use your your whip to just reel him in, you could just unload on him. And so I beat him on my second try just doing that. Yeah, it was kind of the same for me. It's like it's like imagine fighting puppet Zelda from uh, Twilight Princess, just kind of floating out of reach. But yeah, using the whip and bringing him down to punish him was was much easier than yeah. what I was going for the first couple times. But yes, I definitely he was easier for me. I did him first. That was my first key, and then then the scavenger, and that was so hard. Like some of those bosses are pretty tough, but usually oh. after maybe two or three deaths, it's not so bad. Um, but then you get to like, yeah, that scavenger guy, he, that was, oh my God, it was like seven or eight, not maybe even 10 times before I beat that guy. Uh, so before we talk about the last one, so the siege engine, I thought was a very, very cool boss, but again, kind of easy, yeah. I thought, but yeah, just a very cool boss. When I knew how to cheese him, yeah. it, it was easy. But for the first like three times, I, I was just like, what? How do I do this? This is impossible. I'm not leveled up enough or something. But then when I figured out that you could cheese the heck out of him, I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. <laughs> uh, I had a pretty difficult time with the Garden Knight, actually. I don't know about you guys. That's the, so this is the like first boss the first that you boss. fight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the first boss that really tells you. It's like, hey, you need to get, <laughs> for, I mean, in, in Dark Souls terms, get good at dodging. Because yep. he's fast, he has a lot of like long swipes that can get you f from almost anywhere. So you just got to know it's like I'm gonna dodge through all of his attacks, get behind him, and punish him. Yeah, that was that was uh, hard at the moment, and then when you find out that you have to fight two more of them later, I was just like, oh my god, this is gonna be impossible. But you know, it winds up easy because you can cheese them too with the the whip item. Yeah. Um... I don't think I had... I didn't have the whip when I... Or no, I did have the whip when I fought the two guys later. Yeah, he was okay later. Um, mm -hmm. But, of course, the boss that everyone wants to talk about, you Google Tunic Bosses, and the air comes up immediately. This is a boss that you fight a couple times, and the first... I really like when video games do this, actually. I think it's a very cool, like, storytelling technique. Like, when you have to fight a boss and you can't win, but you fight anyways. I think if done sparingly, it's very effective, like, storytelling tool... And that happens in this game. You go to fight this boss, the heir, and he... Is it a he or a she? I'm not... I'm actually not sure. I think it's a she. I think it's a she. I was, I always, I was like, looking at it as a she. Um, so the heir strikes you down, and you dead. 
And yep. you, you're like a ghost for like a, a big chunk of the, the latter part of the game, which we'll talk about in a second. But I, I thought that the first initial fight was like very cool. I don't know. How do you feel about that storytelling trope where like you, you have to fight a boss and you, you can't win? I always think of like the first time I ever saw it was in Skies of Arcadia and I loved it. So I, I, I was a fan. It's very Dark Souls. Like, you know, you, you go in and fight a boss uh, when you're you're definitely not ready to do it. And they just stomp you in and it's meant to progress the story. Like almost every – some Dark Souls fan call it the exit exam or the entrance exam. You know, it's like, you know, this this is your your exam before you can actually start the real game kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it felt like that to me. Yeah. And I, I really like it too, um, especially in a game that you can't rewind because I think there's a moment in – when I was playing Super Metroid, where I was like, I can't remember, you might have to remind me, Andy, but like I was fighting a boss or something, and you're supposed to lose. You're supposed to lose. And I. You're talking and about Ridley, and you're not supposed to lose. You can beat Ridley no! without losing. Yeah. There's a point where you, there's a point where you're supposed to, oh, it's like this room before a little baby Metroid comes to save you. You're supposed to like almost die, and then baby Metroid comes. Oh, to you're save talking you. about Mother Brain. Yeah. Whatever. There's a point, and then I had the rewind feature, so I was like, obviously I suck at this game, and I need to keep rewinding it. But I didn't realize I was supposed to lose in order to progress the game. So it's a good story trope for when you can't rewind the game. <laughs> well, you do end up fighting the air, and I thought that this was a hell of a hard fight. Actually, the first half wasn't too bad, but there was something about the second half. I just I couldn't get my mojo working for like a while, and he like the air was just punishing me and punishing me, and I think. I think it's because, like, um, we were talking about before, like, Rod and I were talking while you were having your computer issues, and, like, I was saying, like, I never use my shield, I'm, like, a running gun, I like to get up close and slash, and I just, I was like, alright, I, I can't do this anymore, like, I have to put dodging first and offense second if I'm gonna survive, and I, it took me, like, a stupidly long time to just, like, snap out of it and realize if I was gonna win, like, I, like, you, okay, the air does three sword attacks, Pateri, like, get it together, let's go here, and it, it, it was a it was a heck of a fight, but uh, a very good final fight. I agree, and especially when because um, I had to do it a few times as well with that fight, and then when you there was this moment where I was like just hacking and slashing, dodging, and then I got and I ended it, and I was like, yes, I did it. And then there's a second portion of it, <laughs> like there's two phases, and I was like, oh, I have so little health left, <laughs> and then I died again. So yeah, it took a few times, but yeah. it was definitely a very, a very good final battle. It kind of took all the skills and all the items to, in in my opinion, to kind of beat the air. Yep, yeah, I agree. Uh, Rod, what do you think of this fight? Uh, I didn't do it <laughs> uh, you oh you never fought the air never no, i fought her the fought her the first time and died you know and actually like I, I was holding my own pretty well for for a good portion of the fight and then she got the better of me and then i you start the second portion of the game where you're a ghost and uh i just said i you know i i looked it up on the internet like i was like okay what's is there a good ending because i was finding all these like strange items that i didn't right. know what to do with and i was so then you you look up on the internet and you find out that there's a there's a good ending and it's like well here's how to get the good ending and i was like okay you know yeah. and well, so i just got the good ending so i you skipped went the fight for the good ending I, yeah i feel yeah. like let's just talk about the story now cuz that kind of bleeds into what we're talking about so yeah. if you get the good ending you actually skip the final boss fight and it's very very touching so very touching the the story in a nutshell, and you can interrupt me if I kind of get some things wrong here, but like the story in a nutshell is that the heir was a hero previously who 
did this adventure and he fought, or they fought the previous heir themselves. They defeated them, but then they became the new heir. And if you fight the heir without all of the pages of the manual, you yourself will then become the new heir and the cycle will continue and continue and continue. Yep. But cyclical. if you present the heir with like, the completed manual with all of your knowledge and all and it's very very cute because you got your you know how to dodge how to roll how to save the story of the maps it's like very touching little cutscene it's actually kind of like it's almost ori in the blind forest-esque in how simple but touching it is um then the cycle is broken and you are saved the air is saved and all of the ghosts of previous heroes are free and it's very very charming and very cute um, I really liked this ending, but it definitely takes a hell of a lot to get this ending. That's for sure. Oh man. I, I feel like you're not supposed to be able to figure it out on your own. Like, no. Um, do we want to talk about like how to, like what the second half of the game really entails right now? Um, yeah, I, I guess might as well. Cause we're okay. kind of at that point. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, I, before, I guess before I, we move on though, Al, you've been really high on this story. Anything you want to chip in? I just, yeah, I think that was like the the moral of the story is that the when, like I said, when you turn the cube around and you see like this dark underworking and all these clones being made, I feel like those are the clones that are waking up on the beach yeah. to fight the air, and then you, you know, you don't share your knowledge because you don't have all the knowledge, so you know you become the new air, and then another clone is aw awoken to fight the air, and it's just like this never-ending cycle, and it's sad. It's like it's. It's like, if you really think about it, it's almost horrific. The the air even cries when you fight, when you defeat it uh, or them, and and then you become the new air, and it, and you get like literally sealed by the keys that you found to Ugh. unlock fighting. It's like so, it's like so messed up, but so good. It's so it's very simple, but it's got so much like deep meaning in it. I feel yeah. So. It, it really tears you up. And that's the bad, quote-unquote, bad ending. Yeah, definitely. Well... And, and well, the game, even at the end, when you get through the credits, it doesn't say the end, like the good ending does. It says game over. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yep. I didn't know that either. That's a good catch, Al. Yep. It, I guess it actually it does narrate? say, like, it does say that you have to... You only completed X amount of, of pages for your manual if you get the good ending or the bad ending. So it, it does make clear that like there's a better ending if you do complete the manual, but yeah, that's a good catch. Can I narrate the second half of the game? Like how I played it? Sure. Yeah. So you find these three keys and you, you can, you, you explore basically the entire Island, you know, everything from like the deep depths, you know, the sunny shores, you see it all, you fight the bosses, you get these three keys, you put them in. And in my head, I, I was very much in a link to the past mode. I was like, okay, I got the three pendants. I'm going to go, you know, cash them in. And, you know, the second half of the game is going to start. You you power up this machine by putting the three keys inside. It, like, powers up and then just stops. And yeah, you're just sitting right. there in this empty room with nothing going on. Nothing's opened or anything. And I say to myself out <laughs> loud, okay, now what? Literally the, ach the achievement. A steam <laughs> achievement. Yes. It says, now what? <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. I was like, gosh dang it, game. Um, so you go and figure it out and you, f you find out you have to fight the air and, and die to the air and become a ghost. And I was a little disappointed because I had thought that the game was going to do a, a link to the past dark world thing where you're now exploring a dark version 
of the the island that you've explored throughout the game up to that point. And that really doesn't happen. You you just play as a ghost uh, with with a lot of your stats kind of stripped away. Um, it does in and a you way. explore maybe three three new areas. I mean, it's literally dark because it's night. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I it's mean, it's I not the say, same. No, I would say it does in a small way because you do have to find a new way to explore as a ghost. Because some of yeah. the regular, you know, trails that you were doing before are cut off. That's true. But it, I, 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 that was I. I I guess it, it didn't meet what I was expecting to happen, but at the same time, it was cool to see the world from a new perspective and you kind of see new, uh, you know, ghostly paths that you couldn't see before. Um, yeah. And then once you find, like, I, I think once you finish that, that little path there, you do like one or two more dungeons from there. It's either fight the air or it's puzzle time. You know, like the, the last act of the game is if you really want to invest the time and get the last, good ending uh you're gonna have to solve extremely difficult obtuse puzzles which i think yeah. is kind of a blessing and a curse you know it's really interesting and cool but at the same time it was like i would have never figured out some of this stuff on my own you know if, if somebody says that they got all the pages of the manual by themselves with no walkthrough i i'm calling you a liar because i don't believe you're a liar uh, yeah there's there is no way and this is the biggest shortcoming of tunic i think um yeah the game is obtuse to a fault. And, like, Zelda NES was obtuse in a way that required exploration and a lot of experimentation. And Tunic has that as well. And that's fine. But it takes it a step too far. And in order to get the last pages, kind of like Rod's talking about... So the game teases an item called the Holy Cross. The whole game. And, um... Oh, yeah. You're yeah. kind of wondering, like, alright, when am I going to get this? When am I going to get this? And kind of a big reveal is that the Holy Cross is actually the D-pad on your controller. And so yeah, yeah. to use the Holy Cross, you have to essentially put in directional inputs that match environmental cues. So, for example, yeah. if you walk by a wall and there's like a, a little doodle on the wall, you would kind of trace the doodle from the start. So you'd say like, all right, well, it starts here and it goes left, up, right, up. And it's very obtuse. But this would actually be fine if the drawings or the doodles themselves were presented in a clear, concise fashion. A, a lot of them are. Like, the, the first time I figured oh, I out don't, that I don't you know could about do that. that. Well, the first... No, there was a door. There's a door in the village area that's closed from the very start of the game. And I always knew yeah. that I had to come back to that door. I go to the door and I finally look at the, I'm looking at the, the page manuals. I didn't have to look this one up. I'm just like looking at it and I'm like, oh, are they telling me I could just use the D-pad to trace the line on the door and it will open? And sure enough, it worked. And I was like, wait a minute, I can do this for all of the doors. So I start doing it for all the doors. And then I, and then I, that's when I had to look it up because there are some like not doors, but environmental right. puzzles well, I think shows that's, a line. yeah, like that's what I mean. Like there are yeah. three doors in the game, but there are a series of a dozen optional, like little collectibles yeah. that you can get. And there are, um, I think 20, 20 fairies that you can get and directional inputs from the Holy Cross, AKA your D pad are required for all of them. And these doors, no problem. Although you get a sword from one of these doors. I was like, what the hell do I need this for? I already have a sword. Maybe I just didn't use it right, but um, 
Those ones are the, fine. There was there's that there's actually like a spell you can do with the D pad as well that I yep. figured out that shows you how, where the fairies are. Yeah, like it'll kind like kind of point them. you in the direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I thought that was neat. So I was using that a lot, and I'd like find a room. It's like okay, they're telling me a fairy's in this room. Let me look around the walls or see what uh, you know puzzle I need to solve using the D pad in order to find the fairy. So I would say maybe three quarters of the fairies I was able to find just on my own without the internet. But then yeah. there are there are like five extremely stupid puzzles that yeah, like I would agree with that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying that. There's way more than there's like oh really some of these some of these are outrageous. I'm I'm not lying. Like a lot of these, I was able to figure it out on my own. Even the windmill one. There was the for me. It's there was a few. I don't know. I would say half for me. Where half were like easy. You kind of look around the room. You're like, okay, you're in the old house, and you see the tapestry that totally looks directional, and you're like, okay, I'll follow that, and you do, and you get something. Right. But then there's like the one behind the sealed doors where you put the keys in that room in front of the statue. And it, and when you find that, I'm like, there's no clues. What the heck am I supposed to do? And then you find out that you're supposed to follow the directions on the, like the pattern on the floor. Like, how Oh yeah, I no, I, I, I figured that out too. Yeah. I yeah didn't there, there are some absolutely outrageous ones where like the, out, the two that I was just like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. There's one in a, in a cave and With there's water. a light shining down oh. into the cave that one drove me nuts yeah that that one was dumb and there's the one where the three columns are broken up in the world and you're supposed to like so I, the game is obviously encouraging you to like trace it out on like a piece of paper and input yeah. this but yeah. yeah i i think rod you and i talked about this i feel like a couple weeks ago where like eventually i got to the point where i'm just like i'm not doing this like i, I i'm just gonna I'm look this that, up yeah. yeah like this is the the yeah, reward I, I, I is I not worth I... it i wish i kept my notes because i was actually doing a lot of notes like it felt like i was playing at old like when I was a kid, like an SNES or N64 game where I was actually using the memo pad, the memo page yeah. in my instruction manuals to take notes. I was doing that on a piece of paper while I was playing the game, um, trying to figure out the, you know, how to solve these little puzzles. And I was actually, I was having a lot of fun and I feel like that's why the game did this. It was trying to bring back the feel of trying to solve puzzles with a pen and paper when you're playing old NES games or something. Yeah. I, I can um, understand why they did it. I just, I don't know if yeah. it worked as well. I even, as he I even went as far as to, I, I was able to identify north, south, east, and west in the made-up language in the manual. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I thought that, that was one, cool. That was cool. But I, the one you're talking about, there is a large golden uh, statue that has a pattern on it that you're meant to trace to solve the puzzle right. uh, to get a fairy. That that uh, statue has been broken up into three large pieces that are in different corners of the map. So you're meant to seek them out, reconstruct them using, I don't know, pen and paper, I guess, like redraw them as if they were all fitted together and then do it. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. No yeah. way. Yeah. No way. <laughs> even, even the, so the last page is kind of a clue that leads you. So there's a, there's an area in the game, the mountain, and there's this big door behind the mountain that is sealed. And essentially what you're supposed to do is basically take every single manual page has a a couple directions on it for your Holy cross. And you're supposed to assemble from all the manual pages, this like image that you can use to open this door. And I was uh, like, which actually would have been fine. It would have been fine. But like the, the actual, like the, the directions are different on every page. Like they're not uniform on the page, which I feel like that could have made it a little bit more easier. And again, I was just like, I'm not doing this. Like, 
I'm just yeah. yeah I'm going to IGN. If, I, this if I didn't have to solve you know twenty other puzzles before that one, um, yeah, totally. I probably would have had fun doing that with the the manual and like constructing this giant directional uh, puzzle using the different pages of the manual. But by that point, I was just fed up with it. I was like, nope, nope. I'm just gonna go on the internet and find the code. Yeah. So so there is like the idea is great, but I think the absolute like biggest most outrageous instance in this game where that happens is when you actually get to um you're gonna have to help me because i forget what it's called but like at top of the mountain and there's this other area where like all of these these like little shapes are spinning in the air okay and you have to like somehow get them and and put them in order to like make this this like code that you put in um and then I'm, I'm actually going to read it directly from it's called the far shore. And so this is, this is like the most outrageous thing ever. So you go in there and uh, you go to, you go to the glyph tower and the glyph tower has, as it sounds, all these glyphs. And eventually you oh, like, yeah. you're supposed That's, to put I, in these directions. I, I, I blocked that one out of my memory. And then, so like what it actually does once you put in all these directions, is it like, it like gives you a code or something like that and you take the code and you like go to a website and you it's cuz it's like do you fear the eye of the far shore or something like that and you got to go to the website and then you got to download this video and in like the code like the the code of this video there's an audio file and it's just like what are we doing here yeah like, it's it's it veers into alternate reality game at that point yeah. No longer part of the video game. It's alternate reality game stuff. And a lot of games, a lot of indie games have been doing this lately. And I appreciate it because I think it's meant to like kind of, you know, stir up more excitement for the community around the game more than the player themselves. Um, there was a Metroidvania game that came out a few years ago called Environmental Station Alpha that had puzzles just like this, where it's like you have to do something incredibly silly in the game to get information that you then plug into a website and like download audio that you plug into a, a a visualizer that will give you visuals based on the audio file you upload. It's weird out there stuff. Um, I, I have so like, like no patience for that. I was just like, <laughs> absolutely not. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, same. It, it's like I, have, I, I appreciate it. And I think it draws on the feelings of being a kid and like going to the, uh, the schoolyard and like saying like talking to your friends about the original Zelda game. It's like, well. I, put, I bombed this area and I found a fairy fountain. I was like, what? How'd you find that, right? Yeah, I, I don't I, of... I don't know if I was if I was feeling that. I, I think it was it was too obtuse. I think we could probably all agree that it was a little bit too obtuse. Like it was yeah, only, it too. was it was too cute for its own good, I feel like. And, and that's my biggest critique of the game is like basically how the Holy Cross works. Um I think the problem is that the last act of the game like heavily emphasizes that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that you're not doing you're not doing any of that puzzle solving stuff at the beginning of the game. So I feel like it just comes out of nowhere and it kind of takes over what the game had been building up towards. I agree. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, agree. I think kinda, that's Yeah, kind of uh you lose a little bit of motivation at that point because Yeah. It's either to do this or go fight the air and lose, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like I felt like the game lost momentum and steam towards the end because they focused too much on this like obtuse puzzle stuff that like seems like it would have been really cool as a side thing, but when it's kind of tied into the main story, even though I know you, I know you can go and fight, you know, the air and just kind of end the game from there, but it, it seems like from that point the game has been de-emphasizing that that ending. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I actually, I also think that there is like kind of a, a drop in pacing once you were a ghost a little bit. I felt like that was... Yeah, I agree. That, they, it definitely slowed down a little bit. And um, it took me a while, like again, kind of obtuse, but I was like, I was like, how the hell do I get back to the daytime? Like, I, I'm not a ghost anymore, but like, and it doesn't really tell you that. Maybe I should have just put two and two together, like going to the old house, but... Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that drove me crazy when I figured out you could do that. I had to, again, I had to look that up. And, like, by the end of this, by the end of this game, you know, we were just talking about all the puzzles and stuff like that. I was like, whatever. I'm just, I'm, like, full-on using a walkthrough at this point. Like, I'm not, I'm not messing around with all these directional arrows and stuff like that. And, like, I think that if it would have been used less and there were more, like, traditional, like, if the, let's just say that the fairies could have been the D-pad and, like, the other secret items could have just been, like, treasures that are hidden in the world or, like, maybe bosses or, or like any other way of activating those, those rewards. I, I feel like that would have been a little bit better for me. Yeah. I think if, if instead of just like using these D pad puzzles to solve, you know, just get a fairy and just move on. I wish they opened up new, uh, new areas, like new dungeon type areas that uh, you can then use, you know, sort of like the dark world thing where it's like, okay, you fought, you, you you know, you fought through these dungeons. You got three pendants at the start of the game. The right. second act is you go and do six more dungeons, right? But right. they're super hidden, and you you know you have to use this new uh, te- uh, technique, this new spell where you use the D pad to open up these you know hidden doors all around. That would have been cool. Uh, we we should probably mention too that everything that we've kind of been complaining about for the last couple minutes here, it's all optional. You don't have to do this. Yes, at all. That is so true. like. I don't want anybody to hear this and be like, ah, I don't want to do this. It's it's all optional. Yes, you do have to do it to get uh, the good ending. But you actually, even then, you don't have to do all of it. So, like, I got 100% of the items, but I think you only need to get, like, 50% of the secret treasures or the fairies or whatever to, to get the final page of the instruction manual. So, it does it does kind of sound obtuse, and it definitely is. But, again, you don't have to do it. And, actually, speaking of the difficulty in this game, like we were mentioning earlier... You can put on the no fail mode and like you can just play the game and, and breeze through it if you want to. So there is like a ton of accessibility features in this game. I don't I don't want to sound like we're beating up on this game because I think that it might be the best Zelda like game I've ever played actually. So just want to throw that really, out there. It's really good minus the little the, those things we've yeah. been complaining about. But yeah, you're right. It is all optional and I think they treat it like when you find that last page. Um, it, it, ha- it features like a. a a thank you note from the developers and, and everybody who was involved. Um, it feels like when I was playing like Mario Galaxy one and two on the Wii, and you you know you 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 finish the game one time with Mario, and they're like, now you can play it as Luigi, and it's harder. And you do these really really stressful uh, hard platforming levels at the end of these games. You do that, and then you get a thank you note from Miyamoto, right? That's what it felt like to me. Where it's like you 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 did like the extra work. Yeah to get the the good ending here when you didn't you didn't have to right they got to release this manual right like in a little fox plushie they got to do that that would be cool i'd buy those for i'd sure. buy that for sure you know what? we haven't even talked about the music actually we're talking all this time i'm talking oh, about man. the music music is, is life, really good yeah although brought by I, life formed which is the same folks who did the soundtrack for dust force like a decade ago which is one of the best video game soundtracks of all time uh, okay. Life formed is great. The music for Tunic is great. Um, it's like, I don't know. It's like vaporwave almost. You know, I was gonna say like I read that in your review, and I was kind of looking out for like some some like 
synth or some and there's some areas that have like synth or kind of like that kind of retro wave sound to it but i it wasn't it, it definitely did sound in, in a lot of ways in most areas like a more traditional zelda soundtrack but to the me, instrumentation is very synthy i think that's the thing like they they took a fantasy score like what you would hear in zelda but used synth you know synth, yeah, okay. uh, synthesized music to do it and i think that's where it has that spacey otherworldly feel without being completely you know electronic futuristic right I, I i could see that yeah i just read your review and i was like synth zelda hell yeah i'm ready for this and there there yeah. were some it, like the music is definitely awesome it really adds to the world the art style obviously is so charming and 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 very like just very colorful and and not happy but like it's in a lot of ways it reminds me of like Link's awakening for the switch which is a very flattering comparison, I feel like. Yeah, I mean... I, I think so. I, I think that the art style is very, you know, charming and whimsical. They did well with, like, simplicity, but still made it look complex. And then the music just plays into the environment so well. And then, like I was saying, when you get to that portion of the game where you're like, this is so much more than I signed up for um the music really plays into that too and like i said i had goosebumps from like the quarry to the uh the uh vault you know because one the music is just like so eerie and just like it really messes with your brain in my opinion i just like i almost wonder if i played this game like if i should play this game high because it'd just be so trippy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah although i don't know how you'd be doing in the fight against the air i'm just gonna say yeah Yeah. (laughs) but like it's like it just has a lot of uh components that really like get you know that really um messes with your senses but in a good and fun way like i've never felt so involved with a game uh right. maybe since like breath of the wild first came out you know what i mean where i was like getting chills because of the music so oh. it was very good and it really just like it pulls you in the music is it fits every area that you go to every area has a different you know sound and it's good they did really really good i'm pumping my fist to hear you say that okay so i got three final thoughts that i want to lay on you guys here first of all i feel like for a long time it seems like a lot of zelda fans have been like they should remake zelda one they should remake zelda one and my answer to that was always like i don't think they should because like you know Breath of the Wild is kind of that. But I actually think that this if you were if you were going to remake Zelda 1, this is like the the prototype for how you do that because it felt very very similar to me in all the best ways to Zelda 1. Um with a it's, lot of it's like It's open-ended like Zelda. Yeah. It's yeah. very open-ended, but it had a lot of like modern tweaks to it that made it a lot more easy to play Holy Cross nonsense aside. So that's that's my that's my first takeaway. My second takeaway was like, man, this is a game that like needs to be on the Switch. This this game, I yeah. I think that it would oh, be yeah. more successful on the Switch. Um, so um, I, I it, it's been a few years now, but let's just say that at E three that year that it was announced, um, I was talking to a Nintendo employee, and they kind of hinted that yeah, this will be a timed exclusive for Xbox. But uh, yeah, I was like, just about to say it's on Nintendo's radar. Like let me let me put it that way. That that was the best that I could get from them, but they said it's it's on our radar. So as far as I understand, there is a one year exclusivity deal. That is what that is what I've read. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like that makes sense to me. This seems like the game, even if it was like a fully owned 
like Microsoft game. This is the kind of the kind of game like Ori in the Blind Forest that just seems made for Nintendo Switch, and I could easily see it coming to Nintendo Switch um, and blowing up. And yeah, and, and doing very yeah. well. Even like you know, Microsoft is a smart company. I think that the audience for this game, I think, is probably more on the Switch than it is on the Xbox. So that's my second takeaway. My third takeaway, I just said it, but I think that this might be the best Zelda-like game I've ever played. I'm thinking of the games that I really, really love. I think of, like, Okami is kind of like the the torchbearer. I think of, like, Blossom Tales was a really, a really, like, strong one for me. But this might be the best one. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What would you guys, where would you guys rank this among your Zelda-like games that you've played over the years? It's high up there. I think it's a very polished game. It's Yeah. I, it I, ha- I agree. Oh, go ahead, Rod. No, 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 no. Go ahead and finish your thought. I was just going to say, I agree with that. Like, it's very polished, and uh, it, w- it probably is high up on my list of Zelda-like games. But something that I really like about it is, like, it plays like a Zelda game all the way yes. through. There is a portion where it just takes on its own identity, and it's got its own situation going on and you kind of forget that it's a Zelda-like game but in a good way yeah I agree with that I I think it it is I would say like the first two acts are like probably the best the best Zelda-like game I've played because it captures the spirit of honestly the first three Zelda games to me it's like or four I guess Link's Awakening too it's like it's a link to the past it's Link's Awakening um it has the freeform uh nature of zelda one and it has the uh the difficulty of zelda two and um it's clear that the person who like the people who made this especially with the manual like they they seem like the person who was playing zelda two back in the day and was just like getting destroyed by the enemies and having a difficult time but we're just like pouring over the manual looking for secrets and clues or talking to their friends about where they could go next and they wanted to bring all of the all of those feelings together into a game and that's what this feels like. It feels like Zelda's one through four recaptured with a you know fancy new lens with a lot of interesting new ideas on top of it. You know. Yep, I agree. Um, very, very awesome game. Uh, it felt like it took a long time for it to come out, and, and it did. But I think the wait was absolutely worth it. Um, so huge kudos to Andrew Schuldice and uh, the the rest of the team that that helped on this on this game. Um, what a, like just what a, what a great achievement that this game really is. It definitely has its flaws that I think could be probably ironed out for the inevitable tunic sequel. But, uh, yeah. you know, I think that this is as probably as strong as a foundation that you can ask for, for a new Zelda esque IP. And hopefully we see it on the switch soon. And hopefully everyone listening to this, uh, gives it a shot. Um, I, I, it's on steam. It's on Xbox. If you're a multi console gamer, Check that out. If you only have a Switch, hopefully it's not too, too long before this game maybe makes its way to uh, to the Nintendo side of things. But, uh, yeah, I had a blast with this cool. game. Uh, Allison, you were right. It doesn't take, like, a ton of time. I would say that I put in maybe, like, 20 hours or so. Yeah, I would say 20 hours as well. Yeah, that sounds right. Probably a fair time. Um, so, yeah. Go those, play it. Yeah, those are my final thoughts on tuning. Do you guys have anything that you want to chip in before we get out of here? Um, I, I, like I said, it's like an amazing game, although I did have one gripe. I don't know if anybody, maybe it's just me and I'm just not that great (laughs) at video games, but did it, did you guys have an issue with the lock on like mechanic? 
where it kept switching to different enemies? Or is that just me? Uh, Not really. No, that's just you. Okay, cool. That's my only gripe. <laughs> you I suck. <laughs> no, I but like... Like I like you were saying, Andy, there was just some aspects at the end. If you wanted to get the good ending, they really make you work for it, and yeah. it kind of it kind of was lame. Where I felt like I really should be able to figure all these things out myself, but I couldn't. That was the only issue I had with the game. Yeah, I agree with that, and I, I'd say despite that that obtuseness towards the end, I think it's an essential game, and I think it brings in all of the great indie sensibilities that have been growing with indie games for the past like 10 years like all these great games have come out that i like have loved it's like i love hollow knight i love hyperlight drifter i love uh even like environmental station outfits like these are all brilliant games but tunic takes all of everything that they did right and like i don't know puts it in a package that like makes the most of the old makes the most of the new Mm -hmm. and kind of stands on its own as something really, really, really essential. You know what? Speaking of that, I actually saw Tom Hap's name in the credits of Tunic uh, as a special thank you. And uh, Tom Hap, of course, is the developer of Axiom Verge one and two. So yeah, kind of a small world, indie devs sticking together. So yeah, I'd like to see it. Um, But yeah, there it is. Uh, Definitely go check out Tunic and hopefully i don't know maybe maybe we could even see some dlc down the road who knows but uh yeah hopefully it comes up on the nintendo switch go and check it out it's a great 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 game um that you should definitely you know go go and play it because it's going to be a while before breath of the wild 2 um but with that said we are going to get out here rod thanks for coming on the show today man of course thanks for inviting me all right well that was uh, that. That was the Champions Cast for this week. If you were watching on Twitch, uh, please don't tell anyone about how we started the show because it was absolutely god awful. But maybe we'll do better in the future. Maybe not though. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, we're gonna get out of here. I want you to check us out over on Twitter at Spiteri three sixteen at Alice Aletha at Rod the Master and. Uh, Check us out wherever you get your podcast. Like and subscribe. Give us a five star review. I was scrolling through our reviews the other day. There's so many awesome reviews. So too many to shout out everybody by name, but I really appreciate it. Um, you know, it, we're not taken for granted. And uh, you know, keep on recommending us to that Zelda fan in your life. Tell them, tell them where they can get their weekly Zelda fix. And uh, with that, we are gonna get out of here, and we'll see you next week. Take care.